Welcome to another exciting episode of Sisters in Conversation, the podcast. I'm your host, Debello Motwani. I'm an attorney by profession and the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On today's episode, I have with me Refilwe Sikobe. Rufilo was born and raised in Mafikeng in the Northwest. She's a 23-year-old candidate attorney and holds an LLB and LLM in commercial law, both from the University of Johannesburg. Rufilo has served in leadership structures and through those structures, she has been actively involved in community service. She served in the executive committee of the accounting club in high school, through which they raised funds to purchase non-perishables for orphanages. She joined the BLASCUJ and served in the subcommittee which was responsible for organizing mentorship for schools around Johannesburg. She's passionate about mentorship and continuing legal education. She joined SAS Law Pro Bono Clinic as an intern where free labor law legal services were rendered to the public. She became an academic tutor for business law in her final year of her LLB until her master's year. She joined the Gauteng South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges Mentorship Program. And through the program, she was mentored by advocate Asifa Salduka of the Group One Advocates, which provided exposure to the legal field as experienced by female legal practitioners. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Rufilue. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Tibelo. Um, this is really an honor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for availing yourself. Um, yeah, a few, a few of my listeners indicated that they wanted to hear your story. And I really love interviewing, um, you know, new candidates who have just started working because you guys are a nice bridge between some of the older women I've I've interviewed who are now partners and directors in some of the firms they work for or in some of the professions that they hold in the legal profession. So it's always nice to have like the young refilways, you know, young blood with fresh perspectives, people who are still energetic in their jobs. So thank you for agreeing. Thank you very much, Tibelo, for the invite. Like, it is really an honor because there's been so many phenomenal women on your platform. So when I saw the invite, I was really, I don't know, over the moon because, yeah, this is a very great platform for Black women in law. And I really love it so much. So being able, uh, being a part of this is really, like, life-changing for me right now. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's get right into it. Can you tell us about Rufilwe? Who are you? Where were you born? Do you have siblings? How were you raised? Which primary school did you go to? Which high school did you go to? And then you'll tell us why you decided to pursue a career in law. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Mafiking. I was born and raised there. So I went to primary school in Mafiking. Um, and also high school, I went there. So um, I lost my mom when I was seven years old. So I moved in with my grandmother. So growing up, I grew up in a very large family mm-hmm. and it was a mixture of my grandmother's kids and also some of my cousins. So um, I was always a very active young woman even from primary school, always joining these clubs. I was also part of the Soul Buddies Club when it was still there. 
I was trying out everything in primary school from joining net, the netball team, being part of the Soul Buddies, entering competitions in school. Mm-hmm. So when I, I went to high school in Botswana, Botswana High School, and yeah, that's where my love for law grew. And it, all, it was also a commercial high school. So it was, back, it was a Model C back in the day. So it was a very great school to get great exposure from. So from then I got interested in mostly commercial subjects, but I already knew that I wanted to be to become a lawyer in grade seven. So it was just a matter of getting my metric so that I can pursue a law degree. So I remember um, I once went to a graduation. It was hosted by one of our church, um, our church mates, and somebody um, who was graduating they they did criminology so I was always so interested and I did not even know about LLB but I knew that I was going to do a law degree and I did not even know what it was so mm-hmm. I was always a very curious person from there so um my interest in law was um it started because growing up in a very large family you have to stand your ground so everybody was I was always a talkative kid mm-hmm. always defending myself and always defending everybody Mm. So everybody would just say, um, my great my grandmother used to call me non-data, which means a person who talks too much. <laughs> and they would even call me a, a lawyer. So that's when that grew in me and I got interested in law. So going to high school, I knew that I wanted to do law. And it was just a matter of getting my matric so that I can register for a law degree. Mm, mm, sure. I absolutely like I'm 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 all warm and fuzzy inside because just hearing your story just t- takes me back to such fun fun childhood memories of visiting my grandparents when I was younger and back then you know everybody like my my grandfather was really the popular one in our family so before mm-hmm. he passed on we'd all all the cousins would go to my grandparents house for the holidays and it was just a full house I actually remember that we used to fight over like who must specifically sleep in the kitchen and who must specifically sleep in the <laughs> lounge. Like it was always such a mess. Like we had to, we had to fight. And if you got to the bed first, you were sort of lucky because you're on a bed mm-hmm. and not on a, on, on like a, a mattress, like the grass spongy, but you were yeah. also unlucky because chances were, if you got to bed too late, then you're going to sleep at someone's feet. So <laughs> that just took me back to such fun, fun memories. Thank you. And I absolutely love that you grew up with, you know, a large family, a lot of warmth around you. I know there are challenges as well, but for the most part, yeah. it sounds like it was a very, very loving family. It was, honestly, it was. And growing up with so many people, you get to, you know, I'd have to toughen up as a person. It gets you ready because now you're with your cousin. So you have to fight for that sponge and matrasi. <laughs> like you said. So you have to be able to speak up and say, hey, I'm sleeping here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then tell us about your varsity experience. Where did you go to varsity? What, what made you decide on that specific varsity? And how was your experience there? And obviously the transition from high school to varsity and if you attended in a different province how was that transition moving away from your warm large family to unknown territory oh okay so this um i'm gonna start in high school when i was in high school i attended these extra classes at northwest university so i started attending them from grade 11 till 12 
so because I was I was always at the university I even had a student card so I used to I think I got like a bit of a of varsity experience there because I could go there anytime mm-hmm. and even go to the library at Northwest University so um, Northwest University was off the cards um, in high school. So I knew that I, I, I wouldn't want to be there. So mm. I wanted to move away from, um, from my feet game so that I can be able to grow because I think I got um, some exposure of how Northwest University would be. And I saw that it wasn't for me. Mm. So um, in metric, I applied to... I applied to University of Pretoria and that's the university I wanted. Mm. And then I later, um, I applied to UJ because it was free. (laughs) (laughs) I did not have to pay for any registration fee. So when I applied in 2015, it was still paper-based. I have to send it via mail. Mm. I had to pay 250 for University of Pretoria, but I applied late Mm. for that. But then, um, then I got accepted for UJ. So when I got accepted for UJ and it was the other university I applied to. So I realized that, you know what, um, yeah, UJ was the only option that was away from home. So Northwest University, I was already accepted. And then UP, um, they said that it was already full. So Mm. I applied to UJ and my mind was already set on going to UJ. So going to Joburg and coming from a very small town in Matikeng, Joburg Mm. is a very big city with so many challenges. You hear so many stories. Yeah, so yeah. I wasn't really so nervous about moving to Joburg, but I was really excited because it was a very new place and I felt like this is a great opportunity to show myself, um, to also discover the kind of person that I am and also mm. to prove to my parents that, like, you know what, this is, um, you've, like, you've raised me till this, this time and then mm. um, from now on, I'm now going to be responsible. So Moving to Joburg was very, it wasn't that challenging, but it was um, it was a bit of a, an adjustment mm. because of the language differences, but it wasn't so bad because um, now I'm proficient in like five languages. So when I got there, I knew Kosa, so Zulu wasn't that much of a big issue. So mm. um, Joburg, was, it wasn't very difficult really navigating Joburg. And now varsity, I made a lot of different characters. My friends are all over from are all over from South Africa. Mm. So it was a very interesting experience. I made a lot of great people, and I'm still friends with them even now, and they're doing very great. I love so, it. Yeah, I'm very proud of all my friends. So yeah, it was very it was very amazing. And UJ, when I got to UJ, I realized how great it was because of the exposure that I got from first year, I knew that, you know what, this is where I belong and also mm. I was supposed to be here because of the exposure that we got from mood court and also trying to see, um, when I got there, I got an idea of how the rest of the four years was gonna be. So I was very excited about being at UJ. Okay, and you mentioned earlier that um, while you were in primary school, you joined most of the social and sporting activities. Did the same apply when you were in varsity or were you just like, yo, I'm here to get my degree and leave. I'm not going <laughs> to be in any society or any of that. 
it did not stop. So in primary school, because I was already involved in all of those things, when I got to high school, I was part of the accounting club. I was also part of the um, this med outreach program. When I got to varsity, I still continued with that. I was part of um, the Black Lawyers Association mm. um, as a member in first year. And when I got to second year, I also was part of the subcommittee. And that was the other, it was one of the clubs I was part of, but other than that, um, I became a tutor. Mm. And I felt like that was already enough for me. It it kept me so so busy. Mm. And I did other things outside of varsity. I did try to volunteer wherever I can and also try to get myself out there to actually um expose myself to other things other than um other than varsity work, mm. try to mm. get more experience out of work, try to broaden my profile as a student because um i remember when i used to attend these um the career days they would say that you know sometimes you don't look for marks and we want to see if you're really involved and mm, what mm. you do outside of school are you trying to get exposure into the legal field that you're trying to get into so i tried to do a lot of that and i i was part of a volunteering committee that is um, that was founded by one of the lecturers at UGM, Ms. Homoto Mugwena, and it's called Spread Love. Mm -hmm. And I volunteered at the Saslo Pro Bono Project. And yeah it's, yeah, it's one of those things that I did. And I did a lot of work around UJ. I was mm -hmm. a student assistant at some point. So yeah, besides, besides school, I did do something and I, I did continue with those um Yo, yeah with you those did programs. you have quite you know quite a colorful portfolio so because you still have um some memories from your varsity life can you tell us a little bit about what the black lawyers association um does like what what are some of the activities that you can share with us so that you know someone who's listening and they're about to you know consider going to uj or they are at uj and they want to be a part of this platform what does it do for students and you know what was your personal experience and benefit from being part of the black lawyers association okay um some of the things that i remember doing it was we did this other initiative where we went to hillbro it's um at this other high school banato high school so it was an outreach program whereby we had students from different faculties and what the, what we did there is we tried to shed some light on what we do in varsity and what what are we going to do after varsity how did we get to varsity how did we apply what bursaries are they so that is one um initiative that we did as the black lawyers association and other times um, they invited guest speakers also people within the legal fraternity we got a magistrate and we got advocates, lecturers. So we tried to explore different areas in law. Uh, just we were trying, they were trying to just um, shed some light on yeah. all the yeah, all the different career paths within the legal fraternity and also try to shed some light that the articles route is not the only route once you have mm, law degree. Mm, mm. So that's what we did as the um, Black Lawyers Association. So we tried to, they tried to organize a lot of initiatives whereby they tried to empower law students to actually get themselves out there, try to see other options that are there. 
And also besides doing that, also go to schools and do these initiatives. So those are some of the things I remember doing within that society. Okay, great. So it's like um, a mentorship and also a great platform to network and a great yes. platform to also give back to the community. I mean, if you were going to schools to tell um, high school students, uh, you know, which routes they can follow once they start applying, then it was also just a way of, you know, giving back to the community. For somebody who wants to join, what was the procedure? What was the process? Did you have to apply? Did you pay a membership fee? Um, what was it like? There was no membership fee. How I knew about the society, it was during opening week. And I would encourage everybody who's going to be starting with varsity, attend your orientation week. You're going to get mm. all these different societies there. So that's how I knew about them. And they introduced themselves. And then if you wanted to sign up, they were there. You just signed up and they you were added into a WhatsApp group. And whatever meetings they had, everybody would get invited. So there was no membership fee that I knew about. So you just went there and applied. And they had offices by the SRC in UJ, by the UJ offices. So they had an office. Mm. So you could visit the office and ask them anything that you wanted to ask. So I knew about it from that orientation week. So UJ that still does have that where it has um, societies week where all the societies pull together. And then, yeah, they, whoever wants to join the society, you can just go there. All right, nice. And then you were also part of the SAS Law Clinic, is it? SAS Law Pro Bono Clinic as an intern mm -hmm. um, for, as an intern for them. What kind of work does mm -hmm. SAS Law do? And were they affiliated with UJ or was this something you did outside of um, your campus life? Um, it was something I did outside the campus lab. So how I knew about Saslo is that there was this other, um, I think it's PPC. So it's it's labor-based. So they came and introduced themselves. And I remember from there, they they said that they had this project. Um, I forgot this what that program was. But then with Saslo, um, there was this other lady no, um, how did I know about, let me just try and recall that. So um, there was this other program, um, it was PPC, it was affiliated with UJ. Mm. So you, you could join that program and from that program, they would send their newsletters. And from there, I saw that they, in, um, they advertised uh, an internship saying that they are offering a three month internship at the Saslo Pro Bono Clinic which is in Brumfontein at the labor court. So I applied there and I emailed a lady who was the facilitator and told her that I am interested in being um, a volunteer for that and also interning there. So um, how I got into that, it was labor-based and it was at the labor court in Brum. So what they did is they offered free legal services. So there's a group of law firms that are participating under Saslo. Mm -hmm. And then they, um, they have lawyers who come in on a weekly basis and try and offer legal assistance to everybody who mm -hmm. might need any labor related matters. Mm -hmm. So any, they would advise and also if a matter was, um, was so compelling that they felt like they would like to help that, that person, they would take it to their law firms and help out that person anything with, regarding drafting or even if they needed some legal representative, they would actually come and get lawyers from that 
um, from that office. It was mm. within the labor court. So that's what we did. So as an intern, what I did is, because um, I said I'm proficient in a couple of languages, so I would try and interpret for them. Mm. And if there was any drafting that was needed, they, um, they would ask us to do it. And we do normal CA work would issue. And also if you needed to deliver something, somebody, if you needed to serve somebody just within BRAM, um, they would ask you to do that. So you were more like a trick to that, um, mm. to that office. Okay, interesting, interesting. Thank you. I, I didn't know about CESLO until today. So I hope somebody out there is listening and also have an interest in pursuing that specific stream of volunteering or interning during their varsity life. And, you know, doing all of these activities outside of school and throughout your whole schooling career, looking back, how have all these activities, you know, helped you in, in your job today as a candidate attorney? What are some of the things you, you value about, um, you know, having been part of so many platforms, societies, organizations, while you were at school? Is it issues of discipline, time management? What sort of things have you learned from, from everything you've done up until this point? Um, firstly, it would be people skills. I dealt with a lot of people mm. being part of mm -hmm. different societies. Um, you learn how to um, deal with lots of people with different moods. So Love that it. helped yeah. me a lot. And also again, um, even people outside that society, you have to deal with other people who come there seeking legal assistance. And some people do not um, do not really understand the law. So I think also it has helped me in understanding my work and also trying to just so hard to learn my work so much that I can even be able to explain it to a lay person because I remember there was this other lecturer of ours um, who once said that if you really want to check, if you really want to evaluate how um, how much you understand your work, see if you can um, explain it to a lay person. Mm, mm. So um, I try, it actually helped me with um, understanding my work very well and so in depth that even now when I'm doing consultations as an article clerk and also having to explain to clients I can be able to understand my work to such a deep way by I know what I'm talking about so that's one thing that I learned and also people skills and also it helped me to be proficient in so many languages so it has helped me a lot because um, I am able to explain some legal um, terminology in other mm -hmm. languages so Already, um, I know at least five languages and I can try and I read and I can understand that. So it kind of helps me a lot also as an article clerk because, yeah, you deal with a lot of clients. So that has helped me a lot. I love and, it. Yeah. So and also, again, time management. I knew that, you know, besides everything that I'm doing outside of school, school comes first. school. I have to do my schoolwork mm -hmm. and... I can also, I, I am able to multitask now and try to just fit in whatever is important and also prioritize what's important right now. And also, um, yeah, rank up every, everything that I have to do, every activity that I have to do, every task that I'm given um, according to priority because I had to do that while I was studying and also trying to just manage all these other things I was doing outside of school. Oh, I, I, I really love that. And then um, tell us about how 
how you then made the decision. I mean, you, 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 earlier on, you mentioned that with the Black Lawyers Association, a lot of people would come and tell you about the different career paths in, um, mm-hmm. in the legal profession. What specifically made you decide to pursue articles? And, um, you know, how did you then go that route? Were you headhunted? Did you apply in your third or final year? How was that um, journey for you from varsity into starting your articles? I, I started applying in third year, which is kind of late. I remember I was listening to um, your interview with Poshali and she was just talking about how you should start applying just as earliest as possible. So mm. um, also being a part of these societies, my marks were not so stellar. So um, they were okay. So, you know, like trying to get into big fives, although they do consider um, what else, um, other things that you do outside of school, but um, I was not able to get into those big fives from the get-go. So um, I started applying in third year and fourth year. So then um, the articles route, the reason why I tried, to, why I actually went the articles route, I actually, I knew that I wanted to become an attorney. So I really love how in-depth it is and also how people-based it is. So mm. even though it's not people-based, but I know that, you know, I was gonna get, um, I was gonna be able to do a lot of um, groundwork as a lawyer. I'm gonna be able to be able to gauge into so many other um, areas of law mm. as an attorney, other than specializing. So that's what appealed to me. And also that's why I chose the articles route. Mm. So, um, I started applying in third year and I did not get articles. That's how I started pursuing um, my master's. So mm. when I did not get my articles for 2020, um, I applied for my master's, but I still continue to apply for articles. So I finally got articles here in, um, in Bloom. And yeah, that's how everything panned out in that respect. Okay, so you did um, your master's in uh, which which field of law? Uh, I did it in commercial law. Okay, and does that yeah. did that master's um, is it is it a master's that you're still using in 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 your articles today? Would you advise somebody to pursue that route? Like, if they're not able to find um, a job, should they pursue masters? Because I know with some people, the challenge has been that they would do a master's in something and then, so for example, do a master's in commercial law and then end up at a firm that only does family law or deceased estates, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm, so, so for you, um, was it beneficial? I would say it was to my advantage trying to learn the articles because what I, um, I, really, I, I saw a story by Wela on her Instagram and she was just talking about how her friend of hers was talking about how most law firms are actually considering people with masters. Mm. So now we know with um, the unemployment rate in South Africa, it is um, a sword. So people are not just trying to um, find employment and even people with masters, they're still struggling. So I think for employment purposes, yeah, for employment purposes, I would say I would encourage a person to pursue a masters. And um, in any area of law that interests you and try to get admitted. 
So um, how the master's has helped me um, in my articles, I'm currently in the litigation department and I am still to move to a commercial department. But what I would say I gained from my master's is um, I had to do a lot of research. I had to do a lot of reading mm-hmm. and also it was so in-depth. I had to learn time management and also I had to improve on my writing skills as a master's candidate. So that kind of helped me a lot in trying to navigate my articles route because even when I'm giving legal pro- uh, when I'm giving legal problems, I am able to apply some of the um, the things that I learned from my masters, and it is it was beneficial for me. And also again, it kind of like shed some light on the area of law that I'm thinking of um, practicing in. And even when I was still pursuing it, I, I was still considering other things, but it shed some light that, you know what, I do want to practice as a commercial lawyer. And because sometimes I know it's, a, it's not as, um, as, it's not that clear cut that, you know, this is the area of law that I really want to do, but it kind of like, you know, it gives you options to think about what mm-hmm. you want to specialize in. So I think, yeah, it is kind of, it is very beneficial from my side. So mm-hmm. um, also again, for employment purposes, um, it'll actually make you stand out as a candidate who's trying to land um, uh, who's trying to land articles and any form of employment, even outside articles. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I, I particularly picked up on two things where you said, uh, even though people do have their master's degree, the unemployment rate remains very high and then you also mentioned that one of the benefits of doing your master's is that it really um enhanced and um what's the word i'm looking for accelerated or whatever your 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 mm-hmm. research abilities my intern uh samke is still looking for articles as well she also holds a master's mm-hmm. degree she recently um graduated but it's been such a tough process. You know, I've also been helping her with applications, but it's, it's, it, it really does break your spirit when, when mm-hmm. you, you've done the school and everybody's always said our whole lives, just study, get your degree. So you get a degree, there's mm-hmm. still nothing. You then get your master's, there's still nothing. But she is a really brilliant, brilliant researcher. Her application of the law really does wow me sometimes. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. And then you are, um, I don't know if you're still part of it, the Gauteng South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges. You're part of that mm-hmm. mentorship program. How is that going um, or how did it go? Can you just tell us a little bit about that program? Um, how I found out about that program, um, they came to our, one of our classes in final year and they introduced their whole initiative. And I joined, and so it's it's a very oh I, I got to learn about it from um, my labor law class, and mm. you just volunteer to be part of that program, and just yeah you just take an application you apply, and then they pair you with um, one of the legal practitioners. So it's a woman, um, it's mostly for female students. So. Mm. I joined that in final year. So it's still even happening right now. It's available for final year law students and you get paired with a mentor uh, who's, who's already practicing law. So mm-hmm. I saw um, from my experience, yeah, it was women from all areas of the law. So I, I was a mentee to advocate South Duca and it was such an amazing experience. 
having to go to court with her attend consultations mm. it really broadened my view of um, how an advocate's um, life is like and also again um, I've got some practical experience and also um, practical in um, in-depth knowledge of how the law works how um, these court processes work, how um, you consult with the client, and also again, if you're trying to get some information from a client, how do you gauge that? So it was really an amazing um, initiative. And I did that for um, that entire year with Advocate Celtica. So you have to complete a couple of, um, a couple of hours with, the, um, with your mentee. So some people did get um, judges and yeah, they got, women from the entire legal fraternity. Oh, I love that. I love that. Just listening to you has really been a great reminder that we we really should, um, you know, lead our lives from the front. Like our success and everything that we want to achieve really depends in the level of effort and the level of hours we are willing to put into everything we do and it also depends on your appetite to learn you sound like someone who constantly wants to learn somebody who is very aware of um you know you, you have a plan in place you're aware of what you want to do you're aware of how you want to contribute to the legal profession as a whole you're aware of the of your career trajectory and you know where, where you want to go as, as an attorney. So I absolutely admire that about you. Sure, like you 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 did the most in varsity, and I feel like in varsity I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't so much of a um, participator. I was a bystander. And looking back, I really I really do see some of the value um, that being actively involved in some societies and some community outreach programs would have done for me as a person and as a whole for my career. So thank you so much for sharing that. I, I really do always stress the importance of, of, you know, being part of mentorship programs, of volunteering, and just being a, a well-round person so that even if you do discover that law isn't for you, you at least have something to mm -hmm. fall back on and something else that you're passionate about. Yeah, that is true. Um, I remember I was reading a book and I actually saw it from this other lady that I really admire, Miss Deborah Mutema. And mm -hmm. I saw it on her Instagram. She posted that book and I, I began reading that book and it was, su it was such an enlightening book and it, it was by Brian Tracy. It's called No Excuses. Mm -hmm. And the things that I learned from that book were actually so phenomenal because there was this other part of the book where um, Brian Tracy talked about how um, when you decide to be the best in your field, you have to look around the women around you and also um, you have to look around the field that you wanna excel in. And also again, like what characteristics do those people, um, do those people have? So mm. I've always had an idea of the kind of lawyer that I wanna become. So uh, being part of, being exposed to the legal profession like that in varsity, it kind of enabled me to, to actually decide on the kind of lawyer I want to be and also how I want my career to go. So mm. looking at those kind of women, um, being exposed to advocates and seeing other women in the profession doing very well, um, it kind of like motivated me so much mm. to actually mm. try and learn as much as I can and also try to just gather as much information as I can about this profession. 
that's why I'm really so um, so addicted to your podcast. Whenever I see a, an episode up, I always go try and listen because I always learn so much from these women. So yeah, yeah. One of these days, we'll <laughs> to your episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah thank you. And then um, you know, you 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 were born and raised in Mafikeng, then you went to Joburg for school, and now you're in Bloom. Mm-hmm. I see you doing like a countrywide tour. How was the transition <laughs> from from Joburg to Free State? Um, you know, how how's the culture like there? Um, yeah, how, how, how's, how's Bloom in, in comparison to the big city life that you experienced during your varsity years? Um, it was actually um, very refreshing. This town is not really that small and there's still a bit of life here, but it's not as busy. So you are able to catch a breather and actually think about, um, you're able to think because Joburg is very fast paced. You're always trying to get something done. So this place is very, it is very, it is not that slow, but it is very chilled, as I can say it. But it is an amazing place. Moving here, it wasn't so much of a hassle. Um, I actually kind of thought I actually transitioned very well to this place because I am Zwana and most of the people here are so too. So it was not so difficult for me to like gauge the language barriers mm. here. I actually felt like home. It was a very amazing. It was an amazing transition, and also the people around Bloemfontein. They're helpful. They're actually very great, and even work. It was actually a very great environment, and everybody was just willing to help out. And they could see that you know what you are trying to just figure out things. So this place was amazing to do all of that without actually feeling like um, I have to do everything in a rush or um, feel like, you know what, I'm actually not doing something right. You're able to ask for help. So this place is actually very great. And the transition here was amazing. But also there are some things that were, uh, it's not all rosy. Mm. And also, again, it's also Afrikaans. So trying to gauge that, like I did encounter some challenges here with the language barriers Mm. and trying to, I'm still trying to gauge that. And also it's another challenge that it, that, that it presented itself. So I'm still trying to just get around that. And also, yeah, I'm still trying to just grow into this whole thing. So I feel like, you know, it's, there's no challenge in life. It's just like an opportunity for me to grow. So I'll learn another language and I'll also try to be more assertive from just standing my ground from being in this place. So mm. it's more of a challenge and all these, uh, it's more of an opportunity to grow rather than a challenge being here. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually very, um, I'm adjusting very well to this place. Oh, love it. And in your few, um, you know, months of, of, of being a candidate attorney, can you share with us what your worst memory has been or, um, <laughs> you know, what, what's, what has your worst memory or worst experience been like? And what has your best memory or best experience been like? Um, if, if you don't have anything from, you know, just doing your articles, you can just share your worst memory, you know, in, in pursuing your, your degree or your master's and your best memory. My best memory here was um, a letter of recommendation I got from an advocate a couple of weeks ago. 
So um, one of the directors at my firm was busy with another trial. So she asked me to just um, step in and also kind of be the attorney in that and assist them with um, anything that um, anything that they might need. So mm. I was there in court for, for that trial. So I, I went to the judge's chambers. I've never been to the judge's chambers before. I met the judge and she was a woman. So I was very excited about that experience. Lovely. So I was just, um, yeah, I was more like the attorney because even the judge joked about it. She was like, oh, so you're the attorney in this matter. So <laughs> so it was actually very Lovely. amazing. That was like my, my great experience. And he said that um, I am meant for this profession and I just need to keep working very hard because I did work as hard as I can to assist in that. So my worst memory would be also uh, one of the, it's the la it's about the language barriers in this place. So mm. there was this other advocate I had to go to. And when I got there, I explained what I needed him to do. And he just picked up the phone and called my senior and spoke in Afrikaans the entire time. I didn't even know what he said in that telephone call. And I was just told to come back to the office and yeah. So I actually, uh, that was just the worst experience, like these language barriers. So I'm still trying to get into that and also try to learn this language. And also again, to be able to put my foot down where I need to put my foot down. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Sure, I've heard so many of those and it's always been interesting to see how people react to it. Um, I remember as well, uh, sometime last year or the year before, my husband had received an email in Afrikaans and he responded in Sitwana. Mm. He was just like, I'm actually, I'm not even going to ask, I'm not even going to ask any questions. <laughs> he, he could make out what the email was talking about. So he just responded mm. in Sitwana and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> the other, the party on the other side then translated the initial email into English. And I was just like, where do you like find the call when you see that somebody actually no the the the, the main language we use in South Africa for professional um, duties is English so it, it doesn't actually matter what the other person's surname is but where you then do see that it's a black surname where do you get like the call to then send them an email in Afrikaans you know mm. and actually it got me thinking about how you know, um, people can be um, proficient in a professional manner in Afrikaans, and we can't do that with um, with our also native languages. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we're always trying to shrink ourselves and not even like you know stand up and say you know I, I really don't understand you, and also I really would like to speak my language. So I think uh, we need to just gauge into that because I remember. Um, um, there was also a, 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 an SCA judgment that was written in Sikosa and I felt like that was actually a very, very bold move in a great direction. So we should also try to do that and also try to just accentuate our African languages and also try to just, you know, try to help, um, speak our languages wherever we can because also mm. it's not everybody who's proficient in English in South Africa. So there's some people who do not understand English and they just um, they just do not get access to justice because of these language barriers. So it's something that needs to be addressed so that, you know, we can improve access to justice and also again uh, from a, a language point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. I love that you touched on that. I remember last year, 
when um, Sam Giffers joined my team as well, she um, translated one of the articles that she had written um, into Isizulu and that was published in a local newspaper. And that was such a big move in the right direction because every day I sing, you know, the fact that the Sustain Law platform is supposed to, um, you know, promote access to justice. But most of the time, the people who really need to understand what's going on or, or the educational information I'm sharing are not people who are proficient mm. in English. So, I mean, let me just use this opportunity to reach out and say, you know, if there are people who would like to translate some of the material that we already have on the website or on the on the social media platforms into other African languages, I'd really, really like them to reach out. I'll share details of the email below. Just thought I'll plug that in. <laughs> definitely, yeah, that definitely. is an amazing. I've, that is an I've been thinking about that so much. Yeah. That is actually an amazing initiative because I also wanted to also, um, I'm actually still working on the proposal and I want to start an initiative whereby we increase access to justice. So we do know that, you know, there's so many barriers to actually accessing justice, like the cost of lit litigation and mm. also again, language being one of those. So mm. I just wanted to create a platform whereby um, legal practitioners come in together because yes, we do have, um, we do have the pro bono arc. We do also have legal aid, but also mm. again, they are so swamped with work and they also do not have enough resources. Mm. But also what I wanted to try to do is try to create a platform whereby people just get, um, they get, they get some knowledge about the procedural aspects of the law. And I'm yeah. not talking about um, just giving them legal advice, but also trying to just give them that key and also that knowledge on how they can actually continue to try and access justice where to approach the courts because I remember there was this other um, instance where I was at the labor court and a man actually came to us asking for uh, for help he mm. wanted to apply for an appeal and he came from the constitutional court and he said that his son was sentenced so he wanted to appeal his son's sentence and mm. somebody sent him to the constitutional court and look at that misdirection. And I felt mm. like you know, people just need to be just sure. They just need to get some knowledge on just the basics of the law, the procedure. which court I love approach. That. Yeah. So just um, enlighten people about the just the normal pr procedural aspects of the law. I'm not talking about substantive law, but also try and just help them out, just redirect them to um, direct them to initiatives and also to places where they can actually get access to justice. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yes. Sure. I love that. I love that. I really hope that one of these days you can grace the platform with a few educational, you know, I don't know, blog posts or even social media posts, just educating us on the procedural aspects of, you know, how to, I don't know, apply for maintenance or how the divorce procedure works or just even how to appeal, like you said. I absolutely love that. Thank yeah. you so much. I, I will definitely jump into that and I will challenge myself to actually see the whole process through. <laughs> <laughs> no, all the best, all the best. I can already tell that you are really going to make an invaluable contribution to the legal profession. You know, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm just looking at the time. I know some of the podcast interviews have 
gone over an hour and you know mm -hmm. I really wanted to be a, a a quick to listen to podcast so that people can listen in the traffic or you know as they're cooking dinner instead of having to listen over two days for example so as the yeah, show comes yeah. to an end um you know I just want us to end off on a very light and fluffy note where I'm going mm -hmm. to challenge you to sing the chorus of your favorite song at the moment <laughs> the challenge you can't say no is there something else I can do <laughs> you already spoke about you know you know challenging yourself being a well-rounded person so the, unfortunately there's nothing else you can do you're gonna have to just sing the chorus just give us something like a little taste well, I just want people to come back to the podcast. I don't want them to be turned off by this last note. So I just wanted to end on a very good note. <laughs> okay, fine. Then, then, then just leave us with your, um, leave us with a quote that stands out for you and a quote that motivates you every time you're feeling down, uh, your favorite Monday morning motivation quote. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, this quote is by Tabombeki. And he said that those who complete the course will only do so because they do not convince themselves that um, the road ahead is still too long when fatigue sets in or that the incline is too steep or that the road is, um, that the loneliness is impossible to bear and that the price itself is too doubtful of value. So as a candidate attorney, there's so many challenges mm. that I have faced and it got to a point where I had to ask myself, am I really meant to do law? So um, I realized that, you know what, um, it's not going to be all rosy and it was not going to be an easy journey. So I know that all those people who have actually made it, they actually had to endure some hardships. So I knew that, you know, for me to become a legal practitioner and also to also be able to make an impact, I will have to face all these challenges. And for me to actually be able to make an impact as a legal practitioner, I have to stay the course and I have to see through these challenges and also try to just see that, um, to actually see the road through. So that's what I live by, I always, always remind myself that, you know what, it was never meant to be an easy journey and I will be able to finish whatever I started. So just, I have to just keep holding on. I absolutely love that. Yo, I, you really threw me off. I thought you were going to hit us with a quote by, I don't know, Oprah, Michelle Obama. I don't know, but <laughs> you really, really brought it back home and you really brought it um, you know, you really came with a meaningful quote and I hope that it will inspire somebody who's listening right now. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, availing yourself. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And thank you for, you know, the contributions that you're already making to the legal profession at grassroots level. Thank you, Rifilwe. Thank you very much, Sibelo, for this wonderful opportunity. Um, I really appreciate it. Oh man, and I wish you all the best. I'm going to be watching your journey closely and I'm going to be cheering when you post your admission photos. Uh, in I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Thank you very much, Tibelo. All right, Rufilo. Bye. Bye.